Well, Aiden Gallagher, uh, thanks for joining us for Power and Witness podcast. And I wanted to talk to you because you're heading up the EWTN studio in Ireland. And tell us like how many employees you have and how big it is right now. <laughs> well, listen, thank you very much for the invitation to come on mm-hmm. your program this morning. It's wonderful to, to be here at EWTN in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so in Ireland, EWTN has existed for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And there are roughly three people employed with another you know, three part-time people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we span the 32 counties of Ireland because that is the, 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 uh, the, the unit of the church as such. Mm-hmm. Um, in Ireland, the church is headed up by mm-hmm. Archbishop Eamon Martin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a, a church position which takes in all of Ireland. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I suppose the EWTN is, is, is uh, split as well. There's, a, there's an EWTN for Britain, Mm-hmm. And then a respective EWTN for Ireland that covers both Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and the Republic. Now your main office is in Northern Ireland, and but the southern part of Ireland, right, is more Catholic, right? So, well, how it's, did that it's, a, it's a good uh, it's a good question, that father. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose there's lots of there's quite a transition in uh, the definition of Catholicism in mm-hmm. in the modern day, and mm-hmm. I know that. Colin Flynn, my, my colleague in this area who works out of the Rome office, mm-hmm. he did a wonderful 20-minute program recently where he talked to a number of key people. One was Bishop Alphonsus Cunlan, and mm-hmm. the second was Father Owen Gorman. Mm-hmm. And the nature of that program was, uh, I suppose, it, you know, an account or a, an insight into the, the shift or the drift, should I say, from uh, people being truly Catholic as opposed to people identifying just as Catholics through their their origin of birth. Right. So there has been a, a little bit of a shift in that uh, in recent years. Yeah. But still, you know, the faith is uh, tremendously strong. Um, if I could maybe say something about how one can, can judge that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Ireland, there are two principal places of pilgrimage, and that is Knox Rhine and mm. the Loch Derg pilgrimage mm. in County Donegal, Ireland. Mm. And having gone there for many years myself, you can safely say that the people that you meet there are really, really into their faith in a practical, wholesome type of way. You know, their dedication to the Eucharist, their dedication to the Rosary, the dedication to you know pro-life values and family values you know there, there's some really wonderful people there mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a often a very good benchmark by which one can judge the health of the nation you know the, the mm-hmm. true spiritual health of the nation mm-hmm. when there's quality people like that yeah. at, at pilgrimage sites now, we often, in America, you know, we think of maybe like a lot of the violence that has historically been in Northern Ireland. And I guess most of the history I'd be a minority Catholic, right, in Northern Ireland, but not anymore. We were just reading the stats. But anyway, I was just wondering if that kind of crucible would foster a strong Catholicism. Um, 
you know, the persecution from the British and things there, especially. Yeah, I suppose I suppose that term, that term, I would uh, it applies, you know, to centuries in the past. Yeah, and you know now we no longer you know experience that mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. Uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah, it's uh it's very much a a. a it's a very good society, you know, where you know genuine yeah. Christians do respect one another now. Right. And there's always fractions out there, mm-hmm. or factions as such. Mm-hmm. But um, thanks be to God, it's been a you know, it's it's a much better place now. And but in answer to your question, um, again, it's back to the issue of although there may be a majority mm-hmm. of Catholics in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. at the present time. It's the essence of that Catholicism. You know, are they truly Catholic in their right. in their thinking in terms right. of their their pro life values? Yeah. Uh, in terms of their belief in the Eucharist and just their regular attendance at Mass, right? That, that's right. Yeah. And you know, I, I do feel that there's there is a huge positiveness in the reaching out. And the the identification of Christian values in other non-Catholic mm. denominations, mm. where uh, we often find now that people who are non-Catholic have a very uh, your you know our Protestant brothers and sisters mm. in Christ, they have a very strong association with pro-life values oh. in terms of uh, uh, you know abortion, yeah. in terms of. Um, Issues like that, yeah. so and I think that's a, a very good building block to nurture those relationships in the spirit of the gospel. Right? Are there a number of evangelicals? I mean, the evangelical movement in America is tremendously growing. Like the mega church, mega churches are you know, sprouting up everywhere. Is that true in Ireland, or I think in Africa? Right? There's a lot of evangelicals there now. In recent years. No, Father, there's not there's not mm-hmm. really a significant evangelical mm-hmm. figure that you know sticks out mm-hmm. um, in Ireland. I suppose it's because there may be all the things that uh, are in the background that just simply, um, in terms of the, you know the island as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the emergence of political parties or things like that. But it's um, what we do in EWTN is we try and steer people back to. The true nature of the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. and that is the true presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, mm-hmm. the devotion to the Rosary, uh, particularly, you know, the cognizance of Mary as her mother and as her queen. Right, right. And and that in that sense, uh, is there's often some confusion about, you know, Catholics and how. They, they look at Mary, and uh, that's why I think the the uh, image of Knock is so powerful. The Knock Operation Shrine in County Mayo, Ireland, shows Christ, the Lamb of God, the Paschal Lamb, uh, who was slain for our sins. It shows him in the, you know, on the altar, the mm-hmm. altar of sacrifice, mm-hmm. and it shows Mary, her Blessed Mother, at the side. Mm-hmm. And we call her, you know, we call her obviously our Blessed Mother. Because Christ on the cross said, "Son, behold the mother, mm-hmm. and mother behold the son." Right, right. So it's a, it's a very important aspect mm-hmm. of um, 
you know, of our Catholic base. So we try and draw Catholics back to that, and particularly to the recitation of the Rosary, mm. you know, something that has been with Ireland for centuries, and uh, you know, trying to invigor right. that in homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like over this past number of years, we've tried to have a an October initiative where if a family is not really that familiar with the rosary or find it mm. hard to say it every night, we try and get them to pray one decade per day. So starting right. uh, starting in the first day of the month, mm-hmm. if they pray the, fa- the five decades on week one, mm-hmm. that's the Joyful Mysteries. The five decades in week two, mm. that's the Sorrowful Mysteries. The five decades in week three, right. the glorious in the five decades in right. week four. Right. So by way that introduces them to the to the spirit of the rosary, right? Because there's, right. there's a particular, like I, this morning for example, when you were praying the Holy Rosary before the Blessed Sacrament, you can just feel feel the graces that are mm-hmm. there present. You know, there's a grace yeah. associated with the rosary, and you're try, That's one thing Edubutian tries to do is to try and reinvigor, you know, call right. down that spirit into the hearts and homes yeah. of the Irish people. Yeah, I love our live rosary after Mass because it just helps my faith. I've, there's something special about a live rosary that people, I think, at home see that it's live and they feel like they're praying with us in the chapel. And how many people, I don't know how many people are praying that rosary in the morning, but it's got to be a lot of people. <laughs> so, yeah, it gives us hope. But um, let me ask you this. Someone sent me this rosary, and it's got the typical... Like the they call it a Celtic cross there. Uh, do you know some of those images, what that means? Or I looked up some of the stuff, but I don't know. I suppose I couldn't get a. Uh, yeah, I would probably need to study it a little bit, but yeah. it seems to me that they're essentially Celtic symbols uh-huh. right. that probably are taken from. The Book of Kells, right, right, um, which is a very significant, you know, historic yeah. book in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the nature of uh, just m- making the cross of Christ mm-hmm. one with Ireland, in other words, you know, yeah. giving it that yeah. indigenous look. Right, I think is. Yeah. Um, is what we're looking at. Yeah, it's, it's neat because I guess the fact that Ireland's an island and it developed its own art form, you call it Isla or something? I, f- I forgot what they call it, but it's, uh, but just symbolism and everything, you know, very particular to Ireland. I just thought that was so beautiful. And, um, you know, going back to the third, fourth century or something crazy like that. And uh, it, anyway, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you often find it, I spoke about Lochderg a second ago. Mm-hmm. You know, Lochderg is a, uh, Again, one of those places where, uh, in 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 centuries past, you had like beehive huts mm-hmm. that were were places of prayer, you know, for Irish mm-hmm. monks, and um, they were largely built of stone. But the remnants of those in are, are, some of those are in Loch Derg, which mm-hmm. is a place of of pilgrimage, and. Um, but it's re- really take it, taking it down to its foundations of the beehive huts where now people will walk around those little huts mm-hmm. uh, and pray the prayers and um, follow in the footsteps of St. Patrick because it is called St. Patrick's you know, Purgatory. 
So it's an island in a lock, a lake. That's right. And they have these huts. You can spend the night on the island. You spend the night on the island, yes. It's essentially a three-day pilgrimage. Mm. And you do come onto the island fasting Mm. from the night before. Mm. And they call... uh, There's a series of nine stations to do. Mm. And each station takes roughly one hour. Okay. And uh, so it's just the the term given to the recitation Mm. of a a number of prayers. But Mm. during each station, then you're asked just to make your way in your bare feet in the in the spirit of the the holy men and women. It's a nice soft white sand. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. I've done it uh, I've done it a good few times and um it's a very uh rejuvenating it's it's tough because uh yeah. you don't get any sleep the first night that you're there. You do pray all night. Wow. And uh you're fasting, you're allowed one meal per day, but mm. that is not a steak dinner. Mm. It's essentially dry bread. It's like a soda bread. Is that, yeah, like yeah, a soda yeah, bread. Yeah. Um, it's been a little bit more uh, exciting recently because they do allow you like a oatmeal biscuit mm. or as many of those <laughs> as you feel you want to eat. <laughs> but uh, but it's not as bad as one thinks because yeah. there's a tremendous camaraderie on the island. There's a tremendous you know spiritual affinity mm. because you're there. You know everybody's. You could be. A, a millionaire, mm. uh, or you could be a pauper. But you're all barefoot. You're all barefoot, <laughs> and you're you know you, you're there before the cross. And one uh-huh. of the one of the big um, important things about the island is reconciliation mm. in terms of confession. In other words, having that that uh, maturity to challenge yourself with regards to you know what have I done and what I have failed to do. Mm. So you come before the Lord, you know, in that spirit and, uh, you know, seek a benchmark, which would hopefully, you know, set you on an improved trajectory. But one important thing in that is standing before St. Bridges Cross with Mm. arms outstretched before the cross saying, I renounce the world, the flesh and the devil. Mm. Uh, And it's it's a very, um, it has been cited, you know, by the wonderful priests, that that um, are there on the island for uh, it's not inhabited inhabited all uh, throughout the year, but that's one of the most important statements. You know that uh, they say one can pray. You know when you're there, mm. you know, the renounce renouncing of self. Mm. You know taking of Christ mm-hmm. uh, into oneself and onto oneself, and um, you know carrying the cross as a, as you as you try and. Approach mm. the next year. Most people will try it. If you're interested in doing Loch Derg as a pilgrimage, most people will do it once per year. Mm. Uh, and it's year round, it's open. That's and, right. Yeah. It opens on the 1st of June and closes on the 15th of August. Mm. So it's quite a short pilgrimage season. Uh, outside oh. of those two, you will have probably two months of just day retreats, which oh. is where you don't take off your shoes. So you can go and visit and still have those beautiful prayers. But the real pilgrimage, if you like, um, there's an opportunity to do it between the 1st of June and the 15th of August. And like how many people roughly would be on the island? Like when you've been there, how many? Yeah, it's a a marvelous question that because would you believe that when I was a a teenager, I think I did it first when I was 14 years of age, Mm -hmm. 
and it was not uncommon for 1,500 people. How big is the island? It's <laughs> not very big. It's like, is it <laughs> half a mile long, you think? Um, or let me not think. that long? Or? I would say it's, if I can just uh, give, me a, yeah. give me a moment to get it accurate in my mind. If you take the accommodation, you know, obviously where people sleep, uh -huh. where, the, where uh, during that one very valuable night, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's essentially a basilica, uh, oh, okay. which is the standard basilica size, if oh, that is okay. not too ambiguous. Uh, so it's a basilica, then there's the area around the basilica mm -hmm. where one would walk in a, in a, in a, a clockwise movement. Um, and then there's these beehive, uh, Hermitage, yeah. uh -huh, with, yeah. obviously all those route, you know, there's mm. just the abutment of the huts mm. that have been left. Okay. So I suppose that area would be, I guess, like 150 meters by a hundred meters. Wow. That area. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that, but that was it in the eighties, whereas mm. now, um, it would be lucky if it was a hundred on it. Mm. Yeah, so it's declined from about 1,500 to 100, mm. roughly. It, you could be lucky during the summer and it could be maybe, you know, 300 on it. Okay. But uh, again, it's back to, you, you know, you do find now that the people that go there are, they really, really, really do believe mm. and that is why they're there. Mm. Whereas, you know, maybe back in the, you know, in the 80s, there were a lot of people you know, just going to see what it was like. Mm. And um, so, you yeah. know, it's yeah. it's maybe one of those ways that our Lord is just bringing, um, like a, gar a gardener, he's bringing the garden back to, he's mm. trimming it back to, so it can, it can be a proper rebirth. Right, right. So EWTN in Ireland is on about four hours a day, you said? No, it's, it, it is, because we take the EWTN United States feed, Okay. It's on 24 hours per day, okay. and okay. that's the same for radio. Mm. Um, what we try and do in relation to our own programming, so we make television and radio programs in Ireland, and then we obviously give those to United States, so mm. they would maybe put those on on a regular basis. Mm. So sometimes you'd find that there's four programs mm. from Ireland will go out in the week. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be six. Mm. Um, like on a good month, for example, there could be 30 programs from Ireland. Mm. Maybe one each day or one uh, every other day repeated, if you, if you, if you follow my, my, my right, drift. Right. So it's yeah. essentially, it's, it's an interesting question, Father, because I think the challenge for offices like ours, you know, like we're EWT in Ireland, but there's no point in trying to change the hugely successful model that EWTN mm -hmm. is. Like, why do people like EWTN? Mm -hmm. They like it because of the mass. Mm -hmm. They like it because of Mulangelica's talks. Mm -hmm. They like it because of the, the programs. So in essence, you know, you don't need to change that model. You only need to add to it in terms of some indigenous programming mm -hmm. that gives a flavor of the country, yeah. you know, itself. And how would you describe that flavor of the country, the flavor of Ireland? Yeah, again, an excellent question. Mm -hmm. A description of it is looking for ministries 
out there that are worth illuminating, mm -hmm. that are worth shining a light on. As our Lord said, you know, don't put your bushel, you know, don't keep it hidden, you know, put it on top of the hilltop mm -hmm. for people to see. So in answer to your question, what we try and do is keep a, a good spiritual eye out for mm -hmm. the ministries that are the flavor of what Irish Catholicism is and mm -hmm. offers at the moment. Mm -hmm. So one of those would be Curcio, um, the Chinacolo community, mm -hmm. um, that would treat people for addictions. Addiction is a mm -hmm. terrible affliction, uh, addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs, mm -hmm. and it's ever increasing in Ireland, mm -hmm. Scotland, and in Europe. Mm. So the um, Chinaclo community that are headquartered out of Knock, County Mayo, you know, that's one organization is really um, an outstanding benchmark mm. and outstanding mm. you know, flagship for, for, for caring for people and trying to put them on the right path. Mm -hmm. Second one would be Youth 2000, mm. uh, belief in the presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, dedication to Our Lady. You know, those two strong pillars like St. John Bosco saw, you know, consecration yeah. to the Magnet Heart, consecration right. to, you know, Christ's Sacred Heart. Right. So that's a, a very essential part. Um, the Legion of Mary. I do think the Legion is it's still very, very powerful in Ireland. And in the spirit of Frank Duff, um, it can offer so much because it's it's such a natural blend with people's lives. You know, you don't have to you don't have to be working in, you know for Christian Catholic uh, charities all day long mm -hmm. in order to become closer to to Our Lady to become closer to Our Lord. You know that yeah. the the Legion of Mary offers a you know a nice framework. You know, in yeah. that regard, and they call people to. You know, one of the things they do, obviously, is call people to. The traditional recitation of the rosary, whether that's, you know, at a roadside, or, at. Uh, in the in the church, mm. uh, the other one is uh, the men's rosary, and uh, it's a probably a phenomenon that you're familiar with. Mm. So the men's rosary is where people. Uh, will turn up and whether it's a, a city in Ireland or a town like it's been a phenomenon across Europe anyway and as I understand mm. across the states and you know through the recitation of the rosary they just remind the community they remind that town that you know we do stand for strong Christian values we're still a society dedicated to the gospel mm -hmm. and to have that Demonstration, uh, it was a small d. Right, know, demonstration right. of faith um, in a public arena mm, right. is a tremendously powerful thing to do. Right, and then the last one as well, which is very powerful, was Rosary by the Coast, and uh, there were some wonderful people involved in that. Uh, like we just try and report on it, um, but again, a group of people would turn up at various locations. Um, around Ireland, and uh, you know, pray the Rosary for mm -hmm. the just the spiritual health of mm -hmm. the country, 
and uh, the protection of family and pro-life values. Um, one thing that w we try and do within EWTN as well is focus on new initiatives that are out there and one would be the Divine Mercy uh, Group in Belfast. Mm. So we made a programme and it'll be airing on EWTN as I understand it in the next few weeks. Mm. So perhaps your listeners could keep an eye out for that. Mm -hmm. And you're out for that. They, they, uh, it's called Trust. Mm. And it really talks about how a gentleman called Stephen McCluskey, with the help of friends, set up a Divine Mercy prayer group that was really a wonderful outreach to the community. Right. And as we know, the communities, by the complexity, there can be all types of issues, whether it's you know, unemployment, social deprivation, just health issues, regeneration concerns, um, but just again, the spiritual you know, health of people within that community. And what Stephen mm -hmm. and his friends have done there is offer an oasis of mm -hmm. grace and peace that has transformed the community. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the last one, um, this worth of mentioning, I myself had the great grace of doing a program with Father Bernardino Sukup mm -hmm. on enthronement to the Sacred Heart. Mm. And uh, that is being aired on EWTN over the next two weeks, I think. Um, it may be even in this next mm -hmm. week. But it's essentially inviting listeners and viewers to make that commitment to Christ. Mm. In other words, to invite him as friend into your house. Mm. Invite him, he comes in as a friend. He comes in as a, a counsellor, lord and master. Mm. And through that relationship, and of course he brings his mother, All through right. that relationship, there's a tremendous just consolation, a tremendous feeling that, you know, any issues that you have from a family perspective or from a perspective of just worry or concern about this, that, that the Lord says, you know, listen, now that I'm the master of this house, mm -hmm. Let me worry about that. <laughs> you know, come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, yeah. and I will give you rest. Right. right. So that's that's been a tremendously uh, you know strong thing for us. Yeah. And and Nock, you mentioned yeah, Lock Derg and and Nock being these two pillars of Irish spirituality. From your own personal experience of going to Nock, praying there, what is, is there a particular spirit of Our Lady that's there? Like some places you go, like there's a Our Lady of Champion here in the United States. It's recognized by the bishop as, at the time, I guess, or later, some bishop there in the diocese recognizes it was authentic apparition. Right? So it's the only approved married apparition in the United States. I got, I got to go there, and I just felt like the tenderness of Our Lady. Mm -hmm. I went to Czestochowa in Poland. There you could feel like the strength of Our Lady. I don't know. Does, does Knox strike you in a particular way? It does, it does, and this is more of a personal reflection, mm -hmm. um, but for me it's a very powerful one, and it's mm -hmm. one that I mentioned to the Sisters mm -hmm. of St. Cecilia when I showed the Knock movie to them mm -hmm. just two days ago. For me, the primary thing about Knock is the Lamb of God, you know, at the centre, it's a Eucharistic right. shrine, mm -hmm. where a lady was there with St. John, 
in St. Joseph. So it's, it's a family, it, the, the holy, the, essentially the Holy Family was there. Mm. But at the, so Mary in her juxtaposition to Christ is, you know, as it should be, in mm. other words, that she's just supporting Christ. Christ is in the center and Mary is, of course, you know, at his side. Right. And it's yeah. a, it's a very strong uh, symbol, it's a very strong picture, particularly when you live in Northern Ireland, when maybe our Protestant brothers and sisters in Christ may say that, you know, Catholics were putting Mary at the center. And of course, for those of us that are Catholic, we know we never do that. Mm -hmm. You know, Christ is the center mm -hmm. um, with Mary, you know, at, at his side. But the real point, Father, I wanted to make, and it's just a personal reflection for me, is that for me, at Knock, it's Our Lady is Our Lady of Light. And what does that mean? Well, on that dark, dark rainy night on the 21st of August, 1879, mm -hmm. for roughly two hours, there was tremendous light mm. uh, in those figures. Um, like it's, it's annotated where even one of the, the witnesses went over to touch the figure of Mary and her hand, you know, went through the, the mm. operation. But the, it was so bright and so um, obviously such a manifestation of, um, you know, Our Lady, St. Joseph, St. John and the right. Lamb of God. But I wanted to say something further just on the light, mm -hmm. if I may. There's often something that, that goes maybe uh, unnoticed within the Hail Mary. So it begins, Hail Mary, full of grace. And the definition of full is 100%. Mm. So, you know, so I like to think of Mary as Hail Mary, full of grace, you know, 100% full of grace and light. Mm. And when you invite Our Lady into your life, and that is a light that was 100% bright, mm. then in no way could your mind or your soul or your heart be left darker. Mm. Like as my brother says, after praying the rosary, you always feel better. He said he's mm -hmm. never prayed a rosary where he's felt worse after right. <laughs> you know. Right. And why is that? Uh -huh. And it's simply because, you know, our lady who brings the light, she brings Christ. Mm -hmm. She comes in and, you know, she lights up, lights your soul, lights your heart, lights your, yeah. lights your mind, lights yeah. your life. And I think that that is, um, it's like Louis de Montfort said, one Hail Mary, you pray it properly, can mm -hmm. be of inestimable value. Right. And that's the thought I was trying to give to just the sisters of St. Cecilia um, in this last few days, that mm -hmm. inviting Our Lady of Light in is a wonderful uh, thing to do because obviously, again, you know, she becomes a closer friend, a closer counsellor, and you know helps us towards our our destiny, which is friendship with our son Jesus. Right. Uh, as as we try and you know reach the right. reach our eternal reward. And the central figure is the Lamb that's slain on the altar. That's right. And Mary's to the side, and John and Joseph are to the side. That's right. That's interesting, because mm -hmm. it is called an apparition of Our Lady usually, but it's. No, that's right. Yeah. No, that's, that's right. And yeah. that's why I mentioned it. So it is, um, Pope Francis proclaimed it as an international Eucharistic shrine roughly two years ago. Oh, really? Uh, 
and it's uh, so it's it's quite unique in that regard. But just on that point about um, the interesting thing is that John is um, Saint John, the, the evangelist. So he's he's there, and he appeared with the Bible, and as we know about John's writings. Mm-hmm. John talks as there's the Lamb of God mm-hmm. who takes away the sins of the world. Right. And for me, what I was saying to the sisters of St. Cecilia, wow, like what an amazing statement in the, in the century that we live in, mm. that you point, that you remind people in terms of this Eucharistic renewal that's going on in the United States and please God throughout the world, that you simply re- remind people, here is the Lamb of God mm. who takes away the sins mm. of the world. That's beautiful. There is no salvation in anyone else. So. Well, Aidan, thank you so much for sharing your, your story, your faith with us, and uh, keep up the good work. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and thank you so much again for the invitation. Mm-hmm.